Good afternoon. This is Irvine History Today on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Ellen Bell. Today we're going to be talking about the Boy Scout Jamboree that happened here on the Irvine Ranch in 1953. For seven days in that summer, the quiet hills of the Irvine Ranch were covered in Boy Scouts, enjoying the first national jamboree held west of the Mississippi. But don't just take my word for it. I'll let Jimmy Stewart tell you the rest of the story. Ah, what do you know? There's going to be a jamboree. What's a jamboree, Jim? Well, it's just about the most important thing that can happen in a boy's life, Bill. The great big outdoor get-together of Boy Scouts from all over the United States. How do you know so much about it, Jim? Well, I, I used to be a Boy Scout back in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Troop 3. Ah, uh, there's going to be Scouts here from Canada, and Mexico, England, France, Japan. Almost every place in the world, I guess. Sounds like another gold rush. Ah, uh, it is kind of like a gold rush. Only the gold these boys are going to be seeking is health and fun, friendship, cooperation. So they just camp outside, right next to nature. Now they're, they're going to camp right down. It's very historic ground, all of these. The Irvine Ranch, right down in there. These 3,000 acres once belonged to a Spanish dawn. The old Padres walked here and brought the word of God and the King's Highway. Kit Carson came, too. The men looking for wealth on the ground. But none thought to find the greatest treasure of all, youth. For 1953, there's to be a gathering here of youngsters from every corner of the globe, and it'll be called the Boy Scout Jamboree. Yes, on this naked ground, a great city will be built which will hold 50,000 boys. It will last for only one week. But what a memorable week that will be. There's nothing like the voice of Jimmy Stewart, I tell you. I never get tired of hearing it. And <laughs> that was taken from a documentary about the Boy Scout Jamboree in uh, produced by Cecil B. DeMille, of all people. And it shows that this was quite a nationally regarded event, and it got the attention of Hollywood stars that participated. And it's a wonderful uh, hour-long video, actually, which you can find on YouTube, and I'll have the link on my website. But to help me tell you the story right now about the Boy Scout Jamboree is Orange County historian and author Phil Brigandi. So Phil, if we could start, if you could just tell me a little bit about what the Jamboree was, just an overall uh, description of the event. Well, the Boy Scout Jamboree is the biggest national gathering of the Boy Scouts of America. They've held them since the 1930s. They're still put on today, Mm -hmm. though this was the only time we had a Jamboree on the West Coast. Mm Mm-hmm. And how did that come to, to happen? How did it get to come to California? Well, they were looking for a location, and they need a lot of area. The Jamboree site was about 3,000 acres. Mm-hmm. And there was a meeting of scout professionals, and our local executive, hearing about this, just kind of muttered, boy, the only place big enough in Orange County would be the Irvine Ranch. <laughs> and someone said, oh, And so he asked one of his board members to go 
talk to Myford Irvine and his ranch manager, Brad Hellis, mm-hmm. and they told them what they'd need and you know the, what the requirements would be physically and putting it all together. And Mr. Irvine and Mr. Hellis listened and thanked him and said, we'll, we'll get back to you. <laughs> and two hours later called up and said, sure. And did they? Do you think they realized what this entailed? I mean, what this would mean as far as an investment and what it would take to put something on like I, this? I think they found out pretty fast. <laughs> the, the Boy Scout executives were there within a day or two, mm-hmm. uh, just asking nonstop questions about transportation and utilities and water and roads and everything else. Well, let's get back to that. The Irvine Ranch in 1953 and before then was just what was like life there in the area where the jamboree was held. And this is, to be clear, what area is this today? Well, the the jamboree, as I say, was about 3,000 acres. So you'll sometimes hear people say, oh, it's where Fashion Island is, Mm -hmm. yes, and Newport Center, and Corona Del Mar High School. It it basically is from the Coast Highway all the way up to Bristol, Mm -hmm. so almost to the airport, between the Back Bay and MacArthur. Yeah, huge swath of land. So so Jamboree Road is actually the center road through it. It's not the boundary. Right. It comes through. And that area on the Irvine Ranch, prior to the Jamboree, was largely being grazed with sheep. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, uh, that uh, had to literally move off the flocks to be able to start laying out the site, which meant roads and water lines and sewer lines and electrical and telephone. All the ut- It was essentially a city for right. a week, a city of 50,000 people for just one week. That they had to create completely from scratch. Because like you mentioned, it was just open grazing land and that they had to bring in all the infrastructure. And so how many, let's go, I mean, I love the thing about the Jamboree. Whenever you read about it, it's it's just this long list of statistics of <laughs> numbers of how many people and how much food and all of this. And so let's talk a little bit about the massive undertaking. How many scouts came to this event? About 50,000 scouts from throughout the United States. And by the way, in 1953, almost all of them came by train. Right, which is another wonderful part of the story, the transport of all of them. How did that work? Well, they used four different stations here in Southern California and then ran buses from the stations. So they didn't even try and bring them all into one station particularly you bring people in over a number of days, Mm -hmm. but everybody leaves within a day or two. So the outrush is even the bigger transit uh, problem. And uh, as I say, it was a city of 50,000 people. So you needed a a telephone exchange. Mm -hmm. You needed banking facilities. You needed hospital facilities. You needed fire departments. You really have to picture it as a city for, for a week. What was the area near kind of Corona Del Mar High School in the East Bluff area? Was that where the post office and the medical were? Or what? Yeah, the headquarters was where, roughly where Corona Del Mar High School mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. but the the camping areas were spread out throughout that 3,000 acres, and I think it's interesting. Now, my father went to the Jamboree. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, came all the way from Garden Grove. <laughs> And they were camped way up in East Bluff. 
I mean, oh. almost to the airport. <laughs> and down where Fashion Island is in that area, that was the kids from Kansas and Arkansas. And I just hope somebody did that on purpose. Yeah. That somebody said, these kids are going to be the ones that wake up every morning and see Catalina Island and the Pacific. Because this was, you know, this is a moment not just for scouts, but for these uh, just young people in general. If you were too young for World War II, too young for Korea, for a lot of guys, this is the first time they came to California. Oh, yeah. And I love that, you know, the, this this event, which takes place in 1953, is kind of in that wonderful kind of optimistic time of America. And you have all these young boys coming across on trains. And they were, a lot of them were specially dedicated Boy Scout Jamboree trains that would stop at, like, the Grand Canyon. And they, would, they had these places along the way. So these boys would be able to have this wonderful experience where they were safe and they could go to these great natural parks and see their country. It's just this great 1950s experience that well, kind of was encapsulated in it. And meet other people yeah. from all over the United States. And there were even a small contingent of foreign scouts mm-hmm. who came. Bob Hope, who emceed one of the shows, called it the United Nations in short pants. <laughs> uh, but it really, a lot of those kids also, getting to see the country, getting yes. to see the West Coast for the first time, a lot of them came back here. Yes. And I've met a lot of people today who their first trip to California was for the Jamboree, and now they live here. Yeah, and and in fact, uh, the mayor of Irvine, uh, David Sills, uh, former mayor of Irvine, he uh, had been here, came from Peoria, um, and the Boy Scout Jamboree, and eventually then came back and served at Camp Pendleton, so he kind of had a double dip of that experience of people coming to California and then eventually coming and staying, but but they talk about when they came and just the smell of the orange groves and seeing the cattle, and this was really a wonderful experience for them, and I love how you say that hopefully the ones from the Midwest that didn't get to see the ocean, that they put them in the front row right on the shore there so they could experience it. Um, let's talk a little bit about that tent city. So each of the Boy Scouts, um, when they came there, they were not catered to. What was their experience when they were um, there in the tent city? No, you uh, cooked all your own meals, handled, uh, you know, did laundry, did uh, all the work was shared among the boys, which is typical of any scouting event. Mm -hmm. We still, uh, when you go to summer camp, if it's a camp where you cook your own meals, you don't eat, eat in a dining hall, we still call that jamboree feeding ah. because that's the, the model. And so what they did was there were commissaries where you picked up all your food and any other supplies you needed, and there was a set menu, and you cooked all your own meals, and you served and ate all your own meals together. In, but then you went off to do all your activities uh with the other scouts, you know, that's where the mixing came mm-hmm, in. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of, you ate and slept in your own troop site, but the rest of the day you were out all over there doing all kinds of activities. Interestingly, the one thing they didn't do there was swim. Oh, really? They, in fact, the Sea Scouts were on patrol to keep them out of the back bay, and they wanted them to swim in a secure area, so they bussed them to Huntington Beach, to the <laughs> state beach. Oh, so they didn't swim off the coast of Corona de Mar there? No. Oh, no. I didn't realize that. They swam in, you know, everybody got a chance to go 
to the beach, to the Pacific Ocean, and go swimming there, but under all kinds of supervision and lifeguards on towers. and the, Right. Uh, but it was done at Huntington State Beach because they could control it there. I see. Well, I know the Marines and the Coast Guard were involved. I mean, this really was a huge effort to make sure that these boys were safe and um, had, I know there was a, a like a police, their own little police force and their own fire department and medical and, you know, the great lengths were taken to make sure that um, you know, in a day when things were a lot less uh, controlled, that it was very controlled, and these boys were—they made sure they were safe and had a good, wholesome experience there. And but I didn't realize they didn't go swimming right off in Newport. I always assumed that they did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fun. Well, you know, I—I've heard uh, stories of people telling me about a big thing that they did was trading. That a lot of them would bring something that was unique to where they lived. Um, whether it be, you know, uh, antlers from something in Texas. I think they were bringing longhorns. And well, my, my father's troop from Orange County, mm-hmm. they had cattle horns oh. that had been cleaned out and had a little first aid kit in them. And if, you're, if you came from a town where they made matches, they would make up boxes of, of matches with a jamboree label on them. There's still a troop from back east that brings canned sardines every year and has for <laughs> generations. Yeah, you didn't so much. These days, modern scouts would think, oh, they traded patches. Yeah, But yeah. they didn't. They, As they said in those days, they swapped They stuff. were things. Yeah, they were treasures. The, and... the sea scouts from Orange County had pieces of a Chinese junk that had wrecked on Catalina Islands called the Ningpo. It was quite yeah. a tourist attraction. And they, you got a piece of the Ningpo when you swapped with the Sea Scout guys. Uh, that's great, though. I mean, again, you know, you have these, like, you can just imagine these boys in their, like, Davy Crockett hats and you're wandering around, you know, just trying to meet new friends and um, just trading stuff that other people would think would be, you know, <laughs> junk, so to speak, but literally. <laughs> but that they were just trying to change mementos and, and get to know people from everywhere. And I could just imagine all of them hauling all this stuff back with them on the trains back home. So you mentioned before um, Bob Hope coming, and that was another big part of this. This was a nationally known event. Um, you had Bob Hope came and did a big kind of a... a they a, did the Hollywood show. Yeah. And they had celebrities come, Danny Kay. And, right. Uh, uh, and they just kind of drove them through in cars. It was almost like a parade. <laughs> but that was one of... Yeah, the Hollywood night was one of the big shows there. And more... The public would come to those events. So the, the final uh, show was like 90,000 people. And where did they... Where did this take place? Along in Big Canyon there. Okay. So it was that nat- natural amphitheater. They took advantage of the mm-hmm. lay of the of the land there, yeah. And so the boys would come in there, and then um, you know spectators as well. And they had this big Hollywood show, like a big old Bob um, Bob Hope USO tour. Yeah, show. Yeah, that's a good way. And then the other shows where they did a you know pageant of American history, and they even brought in live steam locomotives to recreate the meeting of the rails at Commentary, <laughs> Utah. Well, didn't Cecil B. DeMille do a film? I, I think we have a copy of it, a very grainy copy of a film that was done for the Boy Scout Jamboree. And Well, he was the producer uh, on it, yeah. Yeah, the producer. They, and yeah, they put together, a, well, it's a documentary, yeah. essentially, of the, uh, the Jamboree. And it's interesting, some of the scouts that are used in there are local scouts. 
<laughs> that they would grab. Well, you know, they're easy to go to the scout officials here and say, we need a couple of boys for this scene. Yeah. And But it starts off, speaking of Hollywood, with uh, Jimmy Stewart and William Demarest pretending to be cowboys on the Irvine Ranch. That's wonderful. Though they should have had, Jim Sleeper said, they should have had shepherd's crooks instead of being <laughs> cowboys on that part of the ranch. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You know, to be exact, he and, would know. And by the way, Myford Irvine and his family all came, and they gave, for their swap, if you will, they made little watch fobs ah. that were a gift from James Irvine, from the James Irvine Foundation. That Myford got up and you know made a public presentation and said, "This is one of the great moments of my life to wow. have all of these boys here for the jamboree." Well, they did. You know, he he really should be remembered for this because he was a you know a great proponent of it. The Irvine Company um, w- really made a tremendous. Uh, investment in making this happen. It well, probably they, couldn't have happened many other places, you know, well, where you had they, that land. Yeah, and they gave the land, they let the land be used for free, mm-hmm. and so the, this is, I think, the only jamboree they ever made money on. They refunded part of the fees to all the boys. Right. Because they made mo- actually made money on this, but the Irvine Company did not charge the Boy Scouts a nickel. And they spent, I think, it was it $250,000 was like an estimate of just the improvements and all of the investment that they had to just donate to make this happen. Though, of course, they had an eye to the future. So about half of those roads that were laid out for the Jamboree were later paved to become roads in that area, not just Jamboree Road through right. the center. And uh, some of the water lines. And my favorite, after the Jamboree pulled out, where all the outhouses had been, yes, they planted trees. <laughs> it was a perfect spot to start a new tree in that hole. Very good. Yeah, nothing was wasted. Well, I think mm-hmm. that's a good a good transition to what I wanted to talk about next. Is that the jamboree wasn't just something that happened for a, a week in 1953. That this is something that had an impact on uh, the the Newport Harbor area, the city of Irvine. And so let's talk a little bit about that. You you mentioned the infrastructure that was laid. Jamboree Road certainly um, was built from the site all the way up to the Irvine Ranch headquarters, which today would be where the K. Wheeler Library is in the Irvine uh, Ranch Historic District up there at Jamboree and Irvine Boulevard in what's near Tustin. And that's that's the Jamboree Road run from there to the Jamboree, and which is why it was given that name. But why... Um, what were some of the, the things that, the, like you mentioned, the electrical that was, the sewer lines and all of that, what, what became of that after the Boy Scouts left? Well, it's not long after that the Irvine Company starts developing those areas around there. And so in the by the late 50s, you're getting some of the first tracks going in in Corona Del Mar and, and some of those other areas, the Big Canyon Golf Course isn't too far behind. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they are moving into, there's this, you sometimes get this image that there was no development on the Irvine Ranch until William Pereira and the Master Plan. <laughs> but as you know, there mm-hmm. were little fringe developments and sure. tracks and things all around there. So so you not only had the infrastructure, though, you have to think about the publicity. Right. Because the location of this was always identified as the Irvine Ranch mm-hmm. or Newport Harbor. And so either way, you got those names out there in all this national publicity. So all of this adds up to uh, to help 
in the in the coming development of that area. Do you think that when part of what the incentive to go ahead with this, do you think it was after they consented to go ahead and do the, the jamboree that they thought, hey, you know, well, this we've got these roads, now let's develop it, or do you think that was always the intent? I, I would guess that having agreed to have the jamboree because they thought that would be a nice thing to do, right? that then they put their thought into how they would develop the jamboree site with an eye to, to the, the future. future. Yeah, yeah, to and, try and uh, make the most of it. Yeah. Because yeah. it, it definitely is the framework. And so I think a lot of that, like you said, it just kind of turned into the the blueprint for what came later. And, uh, you know, as, as everything is in Irvine, nothing happens without intention or plan. <laughs> so, you know, you, it's hard to imagine anything just being accidental um, with that development. But uh, so today when we're looking around, other than the obvious great trivia question is now we can, everybody listening here can now know why it's called Jamboree Road. <laughs> You'd be amazed how many people don't. Well, I, I certainly didn't. I had no idea when I moved here what that was for, but now I do, certainly, and, and everybody can answer that question. Stump your friends, you know, <laughs> and say, hey, why do you think they call it Jamboree Road? Now you know. But other than that major landscape thing that's left behind, where else would you see maybe a trace or something of, of the Jamboree today? Physically, there's very little to uh, to see. Uh, there's a plaque mm-hmm. marking it at Fashion Island at the top of the escalators. Right. And uh, the scouts actually scavenged a lot of things, but all of that is gone, I think, except for a flagpole or two at the Sea Scout base on Newport Harbor. Mm-hmm which they had at the headquarters site an avenue of flags, and they would fly the flags of all the 50 states and the countries that were there on this huge arena field that was there. And an interesting survival of this, one of the other things that the Irvine Company did when they agreed to host the Jamboree is then they got the idea to also sponsor a local scout troop. Mm, Yes. And so there is Irvine Troop 36, started in 1952 as part of the Irvine Company's contribution. They started their own scout the troop Irvine that Ranch still exists yep, yep. Uh, to this day. They have their headquarters there at the old Irvine Ranch Ag Headquarters where the Katie Wheeler Library is. Yes, absolutely. Still there, still functioning, and um, you're right. That's a very... Uh, viable living memorial to the Irvine, uh, the Jamboree that took here in 1953. But I think the biggest um, lasting impact we've already talked about is all of the people who later decided to come and settle here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the bringing people out to, uh, to the West Coast, to, Ca- to California, and deciding this is where I want to live, this is where I want to raise my family, Orange County is where I want to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree. It, it definitely was a, a, an important event in the area, and it's important to, to be able to know it because, like I said, it set in motion so many of the other things. And, and that transition from uh, more of a ranch-styled agricultural life here in the Irvine Ranch to more urban development and how this was kind of a turning point in that happening. So, well, and, and coming out of the shadows of Los Angeles as Orange County as a distinct that's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, I really appreciate I, I could go on and on because I think it's such a wonderful story. And I encourage anybody to I'll have links on the website so that people can check out um, that find out some more information about the Irvine Jamboree that was here in 1953, the Boy Scout Jamboree. And uh, again, it's just always important to know about the past so we can understand how we got here to the present. So thank you so much, Phil Brigandi. I appreciate your time and uh, your input on this and I, I reserve the right to call you again. Well, you're very welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, then. Yes, thanks to Phil Brigandi for your time and expertise today. If you check out the website at irvinehistorytoday.blogspot.com, uh, uh, you will find a link to not only to the YouTube video that I played earlier, but also to um, further reading uh, some of Phil's works. He's an excellent historian here in Orange County. And, and actually, if you ever get a chance to hear him speak live uh, about Orange County history, uh, he's one of the best. I would suggest that highly. Um, so thank you very much. I appreciate you joining me today on Irvine History Today. And I'm going to sign off. I'm going to let uh, President Dwight Eisenhower sign off uh, with the final words that he used to address the Boy Scout Jamboree in 1953. Thank you. I'm very happy to greet all of you at the third National Boy Scout Jamboree. I should very much like to be with you, for I recall with real pleasure my visit three years ago to the second National Jamboree. It was a memorable experience. Among you at this Jamboree, there are Boy Scouts, explorers, and scout leaders from every state in the Union, as well as from Hawaii, Alaska, and Puerto Rico, and some 16 other countries. Each of you have made new friends, acquired new skills, learned to appreciate new values, and in all likelihood, uh, you have gained a new sense of the vastness and complexities of this nation and of the world. I'm confident that in meeting and talking with your fellow scouts, you have also gained a renewed awareness of the need for cooperation, working together in our country and in the world. Even when people come from most distant places, Bonds of common purpose and common ideals can unite them. This is an important lesson. And if you have learned no other, you leave this jamboree with a new wisdom. I know this has been a week filled with great memories for all of you. Good luck to each of you and best wishes for every success. <laughs>